Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. This is Steve Anderson. We're excited to have a new addition to the Mentor of the Month, and I believe this will be a first. So I'm delighted to introduce Dr. Aaron Beveridge, who is the Crown Council Young Dentist of the Year uh, for 2018. So congratulations, Aaron, on that most recent honor. Thank you. Uh, we're excited to have you with us today. Let me just give everybody a little bit of background. Uh, Aaron graduated from Marquette University School of Dentistry in 2017. Uh, before that, she was a graduate of Westmont College in Montecito, California, and majored in cellular and molecular biology with a chemistry minor. This is one smart woman. Uh, and is originally from California as well, and now practices. And uh, this will be part of um, this will be part of our conversation today. She practices with her dad, Dr. Stephen Beveridge, who's been part of the Crown Council for many years. And uh, this is a woman who, outside of dentistry, is very, very active. And this will be a major point that we'll talk about. Loves to exercise, run, hike. Uh, cook, spends time with her family, loves the community of Los, Los Gatos, California, uh, where she lives. So she's now practicing uh, in the town where she grew up, a hometown girl. Yes. So Aaron, we're delighted to have you with us. So thank you for being our mentor of the month and congratulations on being the young dentist of the year for the Crown Council. Well, thank you so much. Both are such an honor and I've been a Crown Council member for a few years and I've been going to some of the meetings since I think the first time I went I was 11. So the impact <laughs> that you were raised that on this had, <laughs> had on my life and career choice and uh, my outlook has been been astounding. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about today. So let's go back to 11 if you don't mind or yeah. before, and talk to us a little bit about uh, what inspired you to pursue dentistry? Obviously a great dentist dad who influenced yeah. you some, and I'm sure there were a lot of other factors. So tell us about that. Yeah, so dentistry runs deep in my family. Uh, my grandpa's a dentist as well. He's retired. He actually started the office that my dad and I both work at now 50 years ago, 52 years ago in 67. So you're his dad, yeah, and his, his dad was a dentist too. So four. Yeah, so first female dentist. Um, I had thought about so many other things and um, growing up, I was always so fortunate because my dad was around a lot and he would come home and you could tell that he had worked hard but felt really fulfilled and proud to be doing what he was doing. And he loved working with his patients. We'd run into his patients all over You know, this town. It's Silicon Valley's busy, but the town we live in in certain ways is, still has small town feel to it. And so we'd run into people and I could tell he's just was making an impact daily. And that kind of got my mind going that dentistry would maybe be something that I could fall in love with. Nice. So, yeah. You, uh, you knew you were not anonymous growing up. No, <laughs> no, definitely not. And people would ask, they'd say, Oh, you're going to be, you know, are you going to become a dentist? And, um, you know, I, I think it's what made me really kind of hone in and really critically think if that's what I wanted. You know, I guess I walked into a neighbor's house. We moved into my parents' house when I was 
um, six years old, introduced myself, and I just said, hi, I'm Aaron. I'm going to be a dentist, and uh, nice to meet you. <laughs> so um, it's something that I think I set my mind on early, and then the more I learned about it, and um, as I've gotten older, I've learned the challenges of it, but how I can turn those challenges into um, kind of exciting ways to grow. I've always been curious. I've loved learning. Um, I like working with my hands, and my dad is the same way. He's always building things and, um, you know, fixing things. And dentistry lets you combine, you know, working with people, working with your hands, um, working with science. I've always loved learning about science and reading about it and genetics. And it lets you combine all these different passions into one exciting, you know, career and exciting days. <laughs> so. You are obviously very smart, and I don't say that to patronize you, but anybody who majors in, in molecular biology with a chemistry minor, uh, you don't make it through college without uh, having some brains on top of that. Uh, what, if any, challenges did you feel like you had in the process of working towards dental school before you ever got in? Um, yeah. I think it's funny that you ask that because people always say, oh, you know, looking at your background, you must be smart. And, and I think sometimes you say, no, no. And my husband said, you got to be able to, you know, accept the fact that you've worked hard and that you're able to learn these things. But I have to say, I didn't get to that point with, I don't think just being naturally intelligent. I've had so much support throughout my life from parents, from tutors, um, and just other classmates. Like even going through high school, forming study groups, I tell young people who want to go into the medical profession or want to achieve a goal that you're probably not going to do this on your own. So being able to say early on, you know, hey, I need help, recognize, hey, I, I need to learn how to learn. <laughs> I think that's probably the most important thing. And learn how to overcome failure. I think a lot of people, I was not the student who got all the way through school without failing a test or not doing as well as I wanted on a project. And I think knowing, hey, I can go to professors or now at this level, you know, if I'm a dentist or something I'm challenged by, I can go to this group, group of other dentists and know someone else has faced this. You know, you say copy genius. And so you see someone else succeeding in an aspect of life and you, you go to them. And so I think throughout different academic phases or of my, uh, academic career, I've been fortunate enough to try to surround myself with people that I knew could help help further me and encourage me and help me grow. So in addition to your parents and your grandfather, uh, specifically, tell us who you would list as your biggest mentors that you had on your journey to dental school. Okay, I guess we, we could start young. Um, kind of thinking from the beginning, and it's funny because I don't know if I've ever told any all of these people that they are potential that they've been mentors to me but i'll tell them now that i'm going to list them on a podcast um there's a friend we have down the street um his name is george and he's a family friend of ours and worked for some biotech companies and saw that i had an interest in genetics and learning about you know when the human genome was being decoded and all of these things and at the time I was you know, probably 12, 13 years old, I didn't realize this person was high up in a corporate career, but he saw that I had an interest and would you know, bring me the nature magazines and he's family friends, so it would help kind of tutor me in different classes with you know, friends of my parents and everything. And having those adults around you who really believe in you, I think now looking back, I can see the impact that that 
had. And so I'd say that was probably an early mentor of someone besides my parents who was an adult who, who believed in me. Um, as far as, I mean, I've had so many great teachers. There's a few professors in dental or in uh, college that were realistic with me about potential challenges. I didn't have the highest GPA in college. I worked hard, but I wasn't maybe as naturally skilled at some of the standardized testing uh, components. And they said, you know, we got to shoot for dental school, but let's think about some of these other things. You know, let's really figure out what are your gifts? What are you good at? What do you love? And let's try to look at other avenues as we continue to pursue dentistry, which ultimately helped me in my dental career. I worked as a um, diabetes research assistant doing clinical trials before dental school. I took a little bit of time off and the uh, organic um, biology or chemistry teacher was the one who encouraged me to pursue that. And ultimately working with patients there helped me so much in my clinical study in dental school, being able to communicate with patients and talk about health histories. And you see these small things that maybe felt like failures, taking time off from, you know, before dental school, because I thought maybe I couldn't get in right away. And then seeing, no, that actually was a gift that helped me, helped me really move forward and excel in dental school and be able to relate to my patients. So it's, uh, I've, I've been fortunate in that way too. And I, I could think of so many more people now that I'm really kind of diving into it. But let me, let me ask you just a quick question about the diabetes research. Um, yeah. How has that impacted your practice of dentistry and your conversations with patients about whole health issues beyond their teeth? Yeah, I think that for a long time, um, dentistry remained kind of a separate category from medicine. It either seemed to a lot of people like a luxury, which I don't believe, I believe it's a necessity. Um, and I think a lot of people thought, oh, I go to the doctor and I, I go to the dentist when something bothers me. I think that's kind of the old school of thought um, or single tooth dentistry where you're treating, you know, number 19 and not a whole person. But um, research shows us, you know, that heart disease, diabetes, I mean, you know, I'm talking to dentists, I don't even need to go into any of that. But patients really lack understanding in that. And so being able to articulate to patients, you know, I'm, I don't only care about the way your smile looks or your concern with this tooth, I care about your whole body. And I think that being able to have those conversations allows patients to then say, you know, I maybe need to go see my physician. Um, we had a patient recently who had high blood pressure in the office, had no idea and immediately admitted to the hospital for four days. So it was um, a couple months ago and he's doing, doing great, but uh, I think it's an important shift in dentistry for people. And so that, knowledge and even just communicating with people. I'm not just going to look at my my chart and tell patients what they need. I need to look at, you know, their priorities, their health, all of those things combined. You know, you know this, it's estimated that there's a third of the diabetics in America that have not been diagnosed. Mm -hmm. So, and there, it's a huge population. But when you think about the number yeah. of people that have that condition and one of the first places it shows up is it's in your mouth. Yep. So a uh, very interesting background on the, on the, uh, on the whole health side of things. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about dental school real quick, because there yeah. is a story here. Uh, no matter your age in dentistry, uh, there is a story here uh, that needs to be told. And uh, you had 
a very, very unusual experience in dental school uh, that almost not only ended your dental, dental career, but almost ended your life. And uh, so tell us a little bit about that. What, what did you face in dental school? Yeah, so I um, was so excited going into dental school. I kind of not fought my way in, but made it very clear to Marquette I wanted to go there. I was extremely persistent, got in, couldn't be more excited about the career choice I had made, and was going through my first year uh, feeling stressed and great, as you do. <laughs> and right getting into finals in December of 2012, um, I started just not feeling well. Um, you know, it dropped some weight, headaches, uh, couldn't lay down, couldn't breathe well laying down. Uh, I'd be exercising and would lose my vision and my hearing and all this. You're trying to go to school. You're trying to keep everything sustained. And at the time, I thought, you know, I'm too busy to go to the doctor. I don't have time to take care of myself because I need to keep doing my studies. That's the most important thing. And so I let this get worse and worse. And, um, you know, you look back in hindsight, you see, okay, no, she's having ma major symptoms, right? This isn't just your typical cold or flu. Um, but I was starting to get chest pains. And when I bring it up to people, they thought, oh, you're, you're having anxiety attacks, which going into finals D1 year in dental school, I thought, probably. <laughs> easy explanation. Wrong explanation, but easy explanation. You know, and so I thought, you know, that's probably what's going on. I just, I need to keep exercising. I need to keep my, my regimen of you know, exercise, study, minimal sleep, probably not taking care of myself in the way that I needed to. And um, things just got progressively worse to the point where I think I fell asleep in our biochemistry final. I don't remember it that well. Um, my lab partner, you know, kept trying to wake me up. Something's going on here. And made it all the way through finals. And just stop me, Steve, anytime, by the way, if you have a question. Oh, um, made it through finals and was getting together with some classmates still not feeling great. My now husband at the time um, was living in an apartment nearby in, in right upstairs. And he took me to the airport. I was coming home for Christmas to visit my family. And uh, he just said, you know, we, we had been together a few years. He's, we met in college. He said, you're just not looking good. You know, something's going on. And I thought, you know, I'm just run down. I'm tired. I just need to get home and get some, get some good rest. And so he said, you know, okay. And even a classmate who's now a Crown Council member in the Young Dentist Group with me, she said, something's, something's off. You know, I got to get checked when I get home. So I thought, you know, I'll rest, see my family. I'll make a convenient doctor appointment, you know, at a sometime that's going to fit right into my schedule. And got home and got in the car. And um, on the plane, I've never, though, felt sicker spent the poor man next to me I was like sweaty migraines um just just started falling kind of falling apart and got in the car and I couldn't even talk to my parents and for anyone who, who knows me and is listening they realize that's that's not a problem <laughs> so um yeah I then got home I was staying at my my room at my parents place um and went to sleep thought, you know, I'll just sleep this off. Like when you're, I was 23 at the time. So, you know, like you think you can and uh, got up in the middle of the night and was getting sick and thought I must have the flu. That must be what's going on. I was stressed, you know, after finals, I got the flu. 
And then I woke up to, uh, my dad had just woken up at two in the morning and found me on the bathroom floor. And I guess I had had like a mini seizure and passed out. And so he thought like, thank goodness, you know, he's a, he's a dentist and medical professional. And he said, you know, something's wrong. Let's just take you in. I was a little resistant. I thought I just need some rest, you know, maybe some NyQuil, I'll go right to sleep. And I said, no, let's, let's go. So I went with him to, um, I believe my mom was there. It's all sometimes a little, you know, it's a little not feeling very well. Um, we went to the community hospital first and I'll never forget the doctor just looked at me and his face, he just said, I don't know what's going on. And if she has the flu, let's just give her fluids. They started pumping me with fluids and things just started getting progressively worse. So they brought in a lot of other doctors. They thought maybe I was having, you know, I had infectious disease. They brought in a CDC type specialist, cardiologist, uh, bacterial specialist. And that's the night that I met my now cardiologist. <laughs> I uh, really appreciate, obviously. And he made the decision we need to transfer to a, a better um, or a bigger you know, facility. So uh, got in the ambulance from there. And at this point, I was just not feeling very well. Really you know, getting sick. Uh, my blood pressure was all over the place from really high to plummeting down to, I think at the worst point, it was 40 over 20. Um, my ejection fraction, which on a healthy young person is, you know, 65, 40 is heart failure. At, at the worst point, I was down to like 17, um, which you shouldn't even be able to survive. Um, but I made it to the second hospital, Good Samaritan, and there they said, you know, she, it is not looking good for her. They um, told my parents that they didn't think that I was likely gonna make it through the night. And if I did, that I was going to need a heart transplant. And so they said, you know, we need to get her up to Stanford Hospital where we can put her on an external heart and we can get her the help that she needs there. So they said, for now, let's get her a temporary pacemaker. I was on all kinds of pressers and medication, like four of those poles, you know, just full of different things. Um, fairly coherent, like I can remember it. And I remember talking to people, um, but I remember also not feeling very well, you know? And uh, they took me into the cath lab to get the pacemaker and there I coded. And I didn't know the details of this until a couple years later, because I asked the cardiologist about it. Because <laughs> I can kind of remember it, um, but then you always wonder are those Kind of fragment memories or dreams or different things and uh, I kind of I remember having the pacemaker lead kind of being it got what happened was it got displaced and then I coded for almost a minute and I remember them getting everything ready to defibrillate me because I asked the doctor and he said you shouldn't be able to know or remember that um, and poor guy his assistant told me later, he just walked out of the room and started crying. Cause he just said it was, he was traumatized. I think I'm probably doing better than he is as far as trauma from hell. Um, but he, he saved me in that moment. He got the pacemaker back in. Um, they almost immediately after that got me on a helicopter. Only time I've been on a helicopter. So that's on my list to do in a, a helicopter. Right? <laughs> more fun sense um 
But I, I remember the whole time could sense everyone's stress around me. I could sense the doctor's stress. Um, I didn't feel that stressed. I kept trying to make jokes. I made a joke about the show The Bachelor, which if that was like the last thought or last words I had, that would have been really sad. Um, (laughs) So, because you know, they're always, if you watch that show, they're always on helicopters. So um, I shouldn't watch that show, but I used to. And uh, so they, you know, put me on the helicopter, brought me to Stanford and got me ready for a transplant. And a few days into being at Stanford, um, my own heartbeat came back and started battling the pacemaker. And they don't have a great explanation for why that happened or how that happened. Um, I could give you kind of my thoughts on, for me, why, you know, I feel like that happened for me. Um, but it, it was truly kind of a, a miracle situation. My mom said the, the resident rare, the uh, fellow ran out of the room and, you know, I could feel it. I mean, I was so pale and I could feel, even my husband says that he's like, you were like, sheet white and then all of a sudden you had color on your face again and so my family that year spent christmas at stanford <laughs> we got like a little foam tree and uh it was nice because we were just together and it, i mean it was great in that way so no, no uh still to this day no idea of what caused all this they think what caused it was a viral, well, they know it was a viral infection. And so um, when I was at the middle hospital, um, I remember my cardiologist coming up to my, mainly my parents, because I think at that point they defer decisions to other people. And he said, you know, I have this kind of controversial treatment. And if it's bacterial, it could potentially kill her. And if it's what I think it is and viral, it could potentially save her. And it was really high dose steroids with some other things. And you decide mom and dad, which direction. Yeah. And he said, I think we, I think this is what I encourage. And so we went for that. And even I remember the doctor, the cardiologist coming in talking to me before my parents about, um, the prognosis of of where I was at. And he's a little bit blunt and I'll, I'll never forget. He walks in and he just goes, so Aaron, things are not looking good. I was like, yeah, I figured. (laughs) And he said, um, if you don't turn a corner soon, we're definitely going to have to intubate you. And I was like, I would rather not, you know? And then he said, and um, I'm not quite sure if you're gonna make it. He said that to you? But I mean, he's just so, I like, I love this man. He's just like, you have to just like, do your best to survive it, you know? He's like, just keep breathing, like just keep, being alive. And I just said, okay. And I remember telling him like, just don't tell my mom. I like didn't want him to tell my mom that. uh, And I think when he went out to deliver that news, I, I heard this later too. My now husband was in the bathroom and came out and everyone was crying and he thought I had, had passed away. And uh, you know, we were dating at the time, but I think then we got married like a year after this. I think that in those moments, you kind of realize the, um, what you want in life and the important things in life. And I was fortunate because I had, you know, a strong family around me and people coming to see me. And, um, I always had really kind of a positive outlook. I think if, um, I've just always been kind of blessed with that attitude and was raised that way. And to not feel stressed and not feel, um, upset or sad that, I was almost dying, but more letting the desire to live and 
the excitement for life outweigh the fear, um, which is not always how I feel. I'm scared of a lot, like heights, I'm scared of a lot of things. Um, but letting that positivity outweigh, I think, is what helped save me. Not having the stress, um, being able to rely on the people around me. Um, there's other things in my life, like my faith and all of that, that I was able to lean on. But I think just having that peace about me and that attitude um, of just like accepting what's happening, but not letting that, not becoming a victim of what I think is going on, I think was something that was really important in that time. So fascinating to me that you, you say you picked up on the stress of the people around you. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Even though you were probably in a semi-conscious state that that was you, you picked up on their emotion, what was going on. Yeah. And I think at that moment, those emotions are probably more important to me than, than how I was feeling about it. Even throughout the recovery, I could see that. I think that different people in my life, um, family, friends are probably affected in, in ways either more or as much as I was. And so having to kind of also give people some, some grace afterwards to be like, this isn't something that just happened to me, right? This is something that affected a lot of people's lives. And so I'm not a, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm a victim of this and everyone come support me. It's kind of a group effort of some trauma happened. <laughs> Physically, I was maybe the um, the one who was hit by it, but um, how can we then grow? And and it's brought a lot of us closer together. So it's, you know, it's in certain ways a blessing, but um, there's a lot of like life lessons and, and things so I've Tell learned. us about that. What, what have yeah. been, you've reflected on this. You've had uh, several years to reflect on what have been, for you, what have been the biggest life lessons? Yeah, so I think there were lessons that came out of the, you know, event itself, but also lessons for me, um, especially with the recovery. And I think after I, just to kind of like touch on that, after I got out of the hospital, I was, um, before I was really active, running half marathons, um, could pretty much do things, I, you know, if I wanted to go hike six miles, I could go do it. And um I had trained myself to be able to, to do those things. And those were things I enjoyed to do. And I remember when I left the hospital, this really sweet older nurse gave me a pamphlet of like activities that were appropriate. And it was like bingo and shuffleboard. (laughs) And I remember, and it was really cute because I could tell that this was a speech that she normally gives to like 90 year old people. And I'm an old soul. My mom tell my parents tell me that all the time. My husband tells me that, you know, I'm like, can you take the news? And he's like, no one, under the age of 70 should say that, but, um, uh, yeah. And so I think, um, getting home and, you know, not being able to go do anything, I would walk halfway down the block and need to come back and lay down for an hour. You know, (laughs) I would like take a shower and then need to nap for two hours. And so thinking, um, at that point it was really touch and go on whether I'd be able to go back to school. And this is, you know, as you know, my lifelong dream, um, on whether I'd be able to do anything I wanted to do, um, could I have kids, like all these things that you kind of expect your life to go a certain direction. And then you feel like, no, I'm going in this direction now. And I think I was always before this kind of a, um, someone who liked control. I like schedules. I like to know what's coming next. I like to know five years out for the office and thinking 10 years ahead, um, but knowing things happen sometimes. And okay, how do we reshift that and maybe still be able to reach a really important goal, 
but maybe just give ourselves some patience along the way. And so for, as far as when I was sick, for me, exercise was that way. I would then, okay, well, let me get up to walking five minutes. Let me get up to, you know, once I, a year or two out, let me run a minute and walk five. And that sounds so slow and boring <laughs> as far as a path to where I want to be. It's been almost seven years now and I'm finally up to running about four or five miles, just super slow. You could probably like a turtle could walk the pace of my running pace, but I'm, I mean, it's exciting. You know, I'm back to reaching goals that I would want to achieve. And um, I try to bring these lessons into you know, my schooling and, and in my practice. And for me, my attitude about school and dentistry and work changed completely after all of this. I used to get really worked up or I'd stay up all night if I felt like, oh, I, I maybe don't know this well enough or I'd beat myself up if I got a grade that felt like it wasn't good enough. And after I got sick, if I get you know, a grade back um, or maybe now if the treatment, I if something I do and it just doesn't feel maybe as, you know, 100% perfect as what I'd want. I just take a step back and say, well, then how can I learn this? How can I be better at it? And then, you know, talk to the appropriate people like in school. Let me go talk to the professor. Let me do better next time. And it's, and then I always would joke with my husband. I don't think he likes when I say this. But I say, well, it's not as bad as heart failure. You know, it's, I have this perspective that I can always, if I could come back from that and be doing what I'm doing, I can, you got nothing to complain about, dude. I can get a, a grade on a test I'm not happy about and do better next time. And that's good, right? That's, that's moving forward. That's progressing. And uh, I sometimes get overwhelmed, too, with the office. And I'm fortunate to have my dad because he's really great about saying, you know, we just need to take each day at a time and have big goals, but know that we're just moving in the right direction. Yes. I sometimes want things to be done tomorrow. We're modeling an office. We're doing a lot ourselves, which is fantastic because I'm learning it a lot. <laughs> and uh, I would, you know, I want it all to be done tomorrow. And he says, well, we're going to, you know, we went in and we painted and we did some things. And that's a good, that's a step forward. And patients are excited about it. And I can be excited about it. And uh, it just, just allows us to have the right attitude. And, and I think um, allow each of us, allow our team, you know, grace with getting things done, but still, um, be moving in a good direction. I just never want to be stagnant, you know, or complacent. I want to always be moving into, to a good place. So how you mentioned this, how has it, how has it impacted patient care for you and how, how you practice and how you interact with your patients? Um, for me, I think I, I don't tell my patient's story, my story often, because I think that'd probably be inappropriate. Um, some of them know, because my dad was working at the office when everything was going on. So there was some, you know, rescheduling or their family, friends, people from our church. Um, but I think for me, just having that empathy with people and knowing that while I think my treatment plan is really important, I think their oral health is extremely important. And I take that very seriously. And um, we have patients that also may be going through cancers or may have just lost a spouse or, be going through other things in their life. And, you know, they maybe are a little bit overwhelmed with all of that. And so being able to talk to them about my recommendations and why I'm recommending them with still really giving priority to the things that are taking control of their maybe emotional or financial or physical life, 
Uh, I think people really pick up on that and appreciate that. And um, it allows people to then get the treatment that they need to get done in a way that incorporates into their life and they feel comfortable and it doesn't feel um, like we're ignoring this whole side of them. Sure. And so I think, think that's kind of the, the main thing. And just, I think having a, a positive attitude and knowing, Hey, you know, we can, we can take care of this. We can do this for you. And um, if I can't, then always, you know, getting help from other doctors, referrals, advice, and just providing the best thing I can. That's what I want to be doing. So. Fantastic. Amazing story. You have um, <clears throat> a lot to be grateful for and you have a unique perspective that gratefully most of us do not have probably yes, it's, it's one of those things you never wanted to happen to yourself or anyone else um but i think i've told people this you kind of learn your character in those moments and you learn are you going to be a victim of life happening to you or are you going to when things happen in life are you going to be able to learn from it move forward and become a better stronger more optimistic person so i think you go one or two ways and you does show you who you are a little bit, but I think we can, I think we can help ourselves learn to be um, that better person without having to. Because they it. say you met your other self. Yes. Yeah. Uh, shift gears real quick with me and yeah. uh, tell us about your experience going through the Crown Council Young Dentist Program. So far, it has been awesome. I am super excited for June and July. We're gonna be doing a veneer case with Dr. Hornbrook, and I think it's just gonna be fantastic. Um, I've been telling all my patients about it. I'm sure they're really tired of me talking about how excited I am about learning about veneers. <laughs> but um, I think that it is cool though seeing patients get excited about um, the classes we're doing and us learning. But as far as for me, uh, having a network of other young doctors and also just, you know, mentors who have more experience than us in the Crown Council has been huge. I think dentistry can be very isolating if it's just you working in an office and you have your team. And I think that's an amazing special relationship, but I think it's very easy to become focused on the stresses of maybe um, just everyday things, right? Like your overhead or payroll or, um, as a young dentist being overwhelmed by maybe treatment that's a little bit more unfamiliar to you or that you haven't done a lot. And so having these other young dentists that you feel comfortably vulnerable with, I think is really important. And then having older doctors too, not older, but old, a little older than me, more experienced, more experienced than me, um, saying, you know, this is some of the things, Did you accidentally? sorry, these are some of the things that I've um, experienced and this is how I moved forward and um, I think that that's something that's really exciting so I'm looking forward to learning more about running practice um, working well with the team dentistry just all of it and the young dentist program combines all of those things and is gonna hopefully grow me into a fairly well-rounded dental professional well, <laughs> so you, that's, you that's are surrounded, cool. you're surrounded by great mentors for sure yeah. that are gonna make yeah. that happen and uh, I'll add, uh, you're in the largest young dentist class that we've ever had. Uh, you're surrounded that was amazing. Dozens and dozens of other dentists, which is really yeah. exciting and some great mentors. So um, for those of that are listening that may not um, 
know about the Young Dentist Program or want to know more, it's youngdentistprogram.com is, uh, is the website. You can learn more about that. And we update that all the time with as the class progresses through. Uh, the different weekends that we have together. So we're excited for you to experience the whole thing. Yes, I highly recommend it to you young dentists. Don't feel like you have to wait. Don't say, oh, I need to wait four years to get my some of my clinical skills honed in. No, keep working on those and jump in because opportunities don't come along all the time like this. And it's truly exciting. So take advantage of it. Great program. Erin, thank you for... Uh, sharing your experience with us today. You're a hero to all of us to have gone through everything that you've gone through and uh, literally came out of it alive, which is a miracle, and went back and finished dental school and now practicing with, uh, with your mentor and your dad. And uh, yeah. I am sure there is not a day that goes by that you don't wake up and... Uh, and are, are grateful that you are alive. Yes, no, you're exactly right. It's, it's, a, it's a gift. Thanks so much for sharing your experience with us today. Congrats on being the uh, Young Dentist of the Year this year. And good luck as you go through that entire experience. It's, uh, it is a game changer. And we're excited to have you on board. Sounds great. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Erin. <laughs>